Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. That's where we're going to be looking today. So if you missed two weeks ago, you missed the fact that we're going to be studying the book of Revelation. We're going to be going from front to back. We're going to hit all the highlights. We're going to get all the good stuff. We're going to veer away from the sensational and the unknowable, and we're going to talk about what it tells us that we can understand. And we're in chapter 2 today, and you see the title is To the Church in Ephesus. So we're at a spot where Jesus is dictating to John seven letters, each letter to a different church in Asia Minor. And as wherever of you look at your notes, it says the seven churches in the province of Asia were, number one, all under the direct leadership of the Apostle John. He had become their apostle. And I want to say it like that because they had a relationship. He was their apostle. Now, Paul, who started at least one, maybe more, maybe all of these churches, he, he has passed away. He has been beheaded. He's no longer there. All the other apostles have passed away. They're all dead. John is the only remaining apostle. And for whatever reason, these are his churches. So he would be like a bishop over them, an overseer. They would address their questions to him. He would give them instructions. So there's a relationship here. So in, in God's sovereignty and the way he orchestrated things, the letters to the seven churches that John is writing are letters to the seven churches that John has a relationship with, at, most directly at that time. So they, they know his reputation. They understand his authority. They know his story. So... When they get these letters, they're going to trust him, which is important. And, and we can trust them as well. Number two, they're linked together relationally by the Roman trade route. And that just means that people travel from one town to another. They would go to the end of the trade route and back. They would hit all seven of these cities. And so they would have a relationship with each other. They had a a common, easy way to communicate with one another. That's probably how John communicated. He would send something to the first church. They would relay it to the second. It would work its way back, and then answers would come back the other way. So they know each other. When it says to the church in Ephesus, if you were in Laodicea, you read that, you know who the people were in Ephesus. And, and the people in Ephesus know who the others were. So they're, they're involved relationally, some more than others. Number three... These seven churches are representative of both the holy and unholy church practices. So we're going to read about good things that they did, and we're going to read about bad things that they did. And part of the beauty of the scriptures and, and the, the, the timeless way they're written is that these churches kind of represent all there is to represent, and that carries over. So we actually will read these passages asking the question, where do we fit in? What kind of a church are we? Are we doing the things that are commended? We hope so. Are we doing the things that are denounced? We hope not. But we're going to read it, and we're going to ask that question, because we will learn how to be a better church in the process. Number four, it's representative of all churches throughout time, including today. Churches haven't changed that much. You've heard this saying, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, groups of people act the same way. They, they form relationships the same way. 
In some ways, our church body is much like their church body. We have the same temptations, we have the same triumphs, and it, it, it's working out like that. So we want to be aware, and we want to be looking at this. So for the next few weeks, when we read about a church, today the church in Ephesus, we're going to ask the question, are we like this church in Ephesus? Are we doing the good things they were doing? Are we doing the bad things they were doing? What adjustments do we need to make? And so with that as background, let's read the first letter to the first church. So Revelation chapter 2, we'll read 1 through 7. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hand, in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And all that is to say, this is Jesus. So the, the beginning of the letter is, hey, church in Ephesus, I'm Jesus, and I'm writing you a letter. So pay attention. It says, I know your deeds, and the implication is these are good deeds. I know your good deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and I found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. So at the end of that paragraph, our response is, wow, this is a good church. They're, they're checking all the boxes. They they have good deeds. They're doing good things. They're, they're representing God in the community. They're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they work hard. They persevere. They don't tolerate wicked people. And we just go through the list. And if the letter ended at verse 3, we would be talking about, wow, we need to be like the church in Ephesus. We'd probably be naming our churches, the Ephesus Church of Kathlamet, because we want to be like them. But verse 4 starts with the word Yet. And, and that's not a good yet. It's a bad yet. It says, yet I have this against you. Gulp. You get a letter from Jesus who has been crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. You get a letter from that Jesus written by the hand of, of your apostle who you know isn't going to lie to you. And he says, I've, I said, there's some really good stuff going on. Yet I have this against you deep breath. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. What does that mean? That's a, it's a statement, and he says, I have this against you. I better figure out what that means. We're going to talk about that. It says, consider how far you have fallen. That's not good news. Consider how far you have fallen. He goes, not only have you forsaken your first love, You've done it a lot. Consider how far you've fallen. What he's really saying is, you need to think about this. You need to think hard. You need to really consider what I've said. And then it says, repent and do the things you did at first. Repent means change. Change your ways. Change your thoughts. Change your actions. Change the way you're doing things now. Yeah, you've got all this good stuff you're doing, but I have this against you. You've forsaken your first love. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Think about this really hard. Make some changes. And then it continues on. If you do not repent, I will come to you 
and remove your lampstand from its place. Well, what's a lampstand? We go back up to the end of chapter 1. And it says, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he's literally saying, this is, there's some really good stuff you're doing, which is great, but I have this against you. And this one thing I have against you is such a big deal. You need to think about it. You need to consider it. And you need to change. Because if you don't change, I'm taking your church away. That's, that's a pretty big threat. I'm going to take your church away from you. Verse 6. But you have this in your favor. Here's one more good thing. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And they're going to come up next week, so we'll discuss them next week. Reading verse 7. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Which is another way of saying, hey, if you can hear me, you better pay attention. It, it, it's, not a, it's not just a, a cute way to end a letter. It, it's, it's the author saying, pay attention. If you can hear what I'm saying, you better be paying attention. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You know, be successful, work hard, get this done. The reward is there. The reward is heaven. So let's go back to our notes, and let's look at the positive and the negative, and then let's, let's bring them together. So in your notes, we'll just make a list of the positives. The first blank is the word deeds. I know your deeds. He didn't say your good deeds or your bad deeds. He just said your deeds. The implication is they're good because it's in the list of positive things. And he's basically said, I know you do good things. I know you do good things in my name. I know you're accomplishing things. I know, I know you're intentionally serving me. The next line is hard work. I, I know you work hard. I know you're not afraid of a challenge. I know that you're, you're willing to roll up your sleeves and you're willing to pull on your boots and, and you're ready to get the job done. He says you have perseverance. That's the third blank. Which means you keep going when it gets hard. When, when opposition comes or difficulty comes or, or you don't know what to do next. You don't stop and you don't quit. You keep going. So you do good things in my name. You're not afraid of a challenge. You keep going when it gets hard. It says you cannot tolerate wicked people. So they don't allow evil in any place. They don't allow evil. And that's a really important thing because they were surrounded by evil. This was a, a, a Roman stronghold, and it was the religious center of the Roman stronghold. They actually imposed laws that said you had to worship Caesar at certain points in time. The, the temple to uh, one of their goddesses was there, one of the major ones. And it was, it was very evil. They did a lot of evil things. And they said, you don't tolerate wicked people. You don't let wicked people be among you. It says they tested and identified false apostles. So people that come in and say, I speak for God, and this is what God says. They would identify whether that matched what God had actually said. They compared it to Scripture. And if it didn't match, they called them out and said, you're a false teacher. You're a false apostle. This is false information. So they were Bible-believing, and they didn't allow any deception among them. So they persevered, endured hardships. They were willing to take the hit, willing to take the heat. In order to do what God wanted them to do, it didn't matter what opposition there was. And then it says they did not grow weary. 
They didn't go away, which is kind of like saying they were energized by serving God. They didn't come to the end and say, wow, I'm wiped out. I'm going to have to quit now. They got to the end and said, wow, look what God has done. I can keep going. I'm going to keep going. And, and like I said, this would, this would be, if, if this is where it stopped, if the letter stopped at the end of that verse, everywhere in America today there would be churches called the, the Ephesus Church of Kathlamet, the first Ephesus Church of such and such. Because we would all be saying, we want to be just like this church. Because that's a good resume. If, if, if we didn't have verse 4, we hadn't just read it, we could stop and just say, here's how we're going to be like this church. And, and we could go from there and it'd be great. But there is negative. So number two in your notes, just one line. In the King James, if you've, if you've been familiar with that in the past, you'll recognize how they said, thou hast, thou hast left your first love. You've left your first love. The version we read says, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. But I really like the New Living Translation. It's in your notes. It says, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. What does it mean to forsake your first love? Well, you don't love me like you did in the beginning, and you don't love each other like you did in the beginning. And we're going to have to talk more about what that means. But when we bring this together, we have a, a, a long list of positives, and this one negative, we bring those together, we have number three in your notes. They served God out of duty, tradition, and pragmatism. Now, pragmatism is a big word. It means the end justifies the means. So, we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish, and it doesn't matter how many people we stepped on along the way. doesn't mean what we tore down or broke to get here. We got where we wanted to go. The ends justify the means. And, and that's a, a pragmatism. Sometimes is good. If you're working a farm, you've got to get to the end, and you may have to sacrifice the tractor to get there. It's, it's not always a bad thing. But sometimes it is a bad thing because you, you only view the goal as something to consider. When I say they serve God out of duty, they did it because they were told to, because they had been taught to, because it was the right thing to do. And that's not negative. That's not bad, right? Sometimes we do do things because God said we should, because he told us to. If you're in the military and you serve with dignity and fulfill your duty, you get rewarded, we, we want dutiful people around us. We want people that do what needs to be done because it needs to be done. Okay, so that's not a bad thing. Tradition is not a bad thing. It can be a bad thing, but it can be a really good thing. We just enjoyed the traditional version of Amazing Grace. Sometimes we sing a newer version. There's some traditions that, that move us towards God, help us understand God. There's some traditions that are very positive. And there's some that get in the way of God. And it, it seems like some of their traditions were getting in the way of God, and some of their ability to get the job done allowed them to not represent God well. So they served out of duty, tradition, and pragmatism, while at the same time, and you notice it says, but they failed to do this with gentleness, love, and respect. So they checked the boxes on the list, they crossed things off on the to-do list. 
God says, do this, I did it. You should do this, I did that too. I, I've done my duty. I've, I've accomplished the goal. But they failed to do it with a gentleness, love, and respect for those they served, for God, and even one another. And I gave you two references here just to kind of show you what we're talking about. 1 Peter 2.17, I'll just read this to you. It says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Show proper respect to everyone, the people they're serving. Love the family of God, fellow believers, and fear God. This is how we operate. This is the mentality with which we move forward. Everything we do, every act of obedience, every act of service needs to come under this type of umbrella. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. The other reference is 1 Peter 3.15. And it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. So there's an attitude that we need to have as we serve God. We need to be serving God correctly so that people receive the blessing. We talked about this in Sunday school. I can give generously with a grudge, and it doesn't feel like a blessing. I can serve with a bad attitude, get the job done, but it doesn't feel much like service. It's not received well. So these people were doing the things that needed to be done, but they lost sight of how they were supposed to do it. And then there's a warning, which we talked about, second page of your notes. If you do not repent, I will take your church away from you. That's in verse 5. I'll take your church away from you. Your lampstand will be removed from its place. I don't even know exactly how to take that. If, if we got a letter from Jesus, and he said, hey, these are things you're doing great, and here's something you're doing wrong, and if you don't fix the wrong thing, I'm going to take away your church. What does that look like? What does that feel like? How does that happen? Well, we don't necessarily know all those details, but we do know how it worked out, and we'll talk about that in a minute. This is probably the letter that I want us to consider the most, because I think as Baptists, this is the letter that most clearly speaks to us. Because as Baptists, we're really good about making sure we're doing the things we're supposed to be doing, right? We're really good at working hard. We put our shoulder to the plow. We move forward. We get things accomplished. We don't give up easily. It's not part of who we are. We definitely don't tolerate wicked people. We should be loving them, and we should be sharing Christ with them. But we don't give them the platform. We don't, we don't let them do the teaching and things like that. We don't tolerate wicked people. We, we do identify and call out false apostles. We're willing to endure some hardship and and we're not going to go away. We're not going to give up. We're not going to do these things. And that's, that's good Baptist tradition. And maybe that's true of most churches, but I am most familiar with the Baptist. That's who we are. That's who I've always been. It, it, it may be true of every church. 
But it's definitely true of Baptist churches. And it's definitely true of our church. So we do these things, and we get a pat on the back for them, and we get an attaboy here and there, and people in the community say, wow, you're doing a good job, you have a good reputation. But the danger comes when we don't do them correctly. The danger comes when we forget certain things. And we'll talk about those in a minute, but I just want to keep planting that seed. Let's talk about Ephesus. Let's talk about who they were and, and what they became. So number one in your notes there, under the warning, Ephesus was a, the church Paul started in Acts 19, as Paul preached there for two years. Now, Paul wasn't the kind of guy that preached on Sunday for an hour. He did preach on Sunday. He probably preached for four to 12 hours at a time. One time he preached so late that someone fell asleep, fell out the window and died. He graciously then gave them a break while he brought them back to life, let them eat some food, and then came back and preached till morning. So Paul isn't the an hour's good kind of preacher. He's also not the Sunday-only kind of preacher. History tells us, tradition tells us, that he preached every day in the synagogue, and when they didn't want him in the synagogue, he went somewhere else. He built a congregation where he preached every day, almost every day of the week. So we get 52 sermons a year. They got over 300 sermons a year, and he preached there for two years. So they had the Apostle Paul as their pastor, they had daily messages, and, and, and that was their beginning, that was their feeding, so they had a great start. When we read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, a letter written to these people, Paul calls them God's holy people. He identifies them, he says, you're God's holy people, which really means you guys are doing a good job. And they had a reputation for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and their love for all God's people. They had a reputation for not forsaking their first love. They, they, they had faith in the Lord, and they loved God's people. That's, that's who they were. That's, that's what they were. Number two, what they struggled with, and we get this from 1 Timothy, when Timothy became the pastor at Ephesus, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy and said, Timothy, Here's what you need to work on. Here's what you need to tell the people. So we can say these are the, some of the things they struggled with. Well, they struggled with unruly worship services. People calling out in the middle of the service, somebody speaking in tongues over here, someone interpreting over there, someone raising their hand and asking a question in the middle of the, middle of the sermon. Um, they had people parading around like it was a fashion show. A lot of folks, it was all about them, not about God, certainly not about each other. They had an unruly worship service, and Paul had to correct that. You can see the reference there in your notes. They also had unqualified leadership. And so Paul had to say, hey, Timothy, here's the qualifications of a leader. Implication is, if your leaders aren't qualified, they need to step down. If you have qualified people who aren't leading, they need to step up. And so they had to address the subject of unqualified leadership. See in your notes, Paul talked to them about caring for or dealing with widows, elders, and slaves. And it wasn't because they were doing a good job of caring. It's because they were not doing a good job of caring. 
And interestingly, the word elders there, I just wrote it down once in the notes because it fit really nicely that way. But in one section, it talks about the elderly. And another section, it talks about the elders. They weren't treating the elderly well. And they weren't treating the elders well. They weren't treating the widows well. And they weren't treating the slave class well. And Paul had to identify that and he had to address that for them. And indeed, you notice, they weren't handling wealth well. They were letting, they're letting the, the drive for wealth influence the way they did things. And, and that's what promoted some of the false teaching and all that. So they started off as, as a church that had daily sermons from the Apostle Paul, and they were called God's holy people, and they had a great reputation to the point where Timothy's there and Paul writes, hey, here's what you need to talk to the church about. This is what they're struggling with. They move from there to number three. History tells us they listened to Paul. They, they listened to Timothy. They repented. And they became the strongest church in Asia Minor. This, this is not to be found in Scripture. This is in church history. They became the strongest church in Asia Minor. There is a story that they actually tore down the temple to Artemis and used those building materials to build the church. Now, I had no way of verifying that, but it does kind of indicate the kind of stories that were told, whether it was legend or fact. The story was told, and, and, and this church changed the community. Paul talked about that the word got out so that no one in Asia Minor had not heard about Jesus and heard his story. So this church responded to what was told to them in Timothy, or by Timothy, and became what they needed to be. But then however long it took, number four, they became the church described in Revelation 2. They have a great resume, but they have forsaken their first love. And then number five, they eventually ceased to exist. They went from great church with a great reputation doing good things, to getting a letter in Revelation warning them that their church is going to be taken from them if they don't change. And then it did cease to exist. And where their church is is modern-day Turkey. And modern-day Turkey is a, is a Muslim stronghold. And in 2019, it says 0.2% of, of the population is Christian. That's one-fifth of 1%. One-fifth of one percent of the people living right where this church was are Christians now. Was the church removed? Yeah, the church was removed. A lot of times when a church is removed or a church ceases to exist, you look back and you don't really know what happened. Just all of a sudden, this is no longer sustainable. There's not enough people. There's not enough interest. And, and eventually it's just the smart thing to do to close the doors. It's, it's the right thing to do. And, and that happened here. To, to this day, there's no strong Christian population. So we went from every person in Asia Minor has heard of Paul and heard of Jesus and ho heard the story of salvation that every household has heard and, and a church that's the greatest church in the area to all of a sudden no church, no Christians. So when God gave his warning and said, I'll remove your lampstand, we can surmise that they didn't fix the problem because he did remove their lampstand. Well, what are we supposed to learn? Application. 
Heritage Bible Church, Baptist in nature, 193 North Welcome Slough Road, white building, us. What are we supposed to learn? Well, number one, we also, we also desperately want to do good deeds in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to guard the integrity of the scriptures. We want to call out and speak against false teaching and false teachers. We want to persevere through hardship and persecution. We, we don't want to grow weary of serving God. We want verse 2 through 3, two, we want verse 2 and 3 to describe us. We, we want God to write us a letter and say, hey, this is who you are. And we, we want to be proud of that. And we want to be uh, confident in that service. But, number two, we must not forget. And these are the things I think they forgot. This is the warning for us. We're going to cover this right now. We must not forget who we truly serve. We must not forget who we truly serve. Everything I do needs to be for Jesus Christ, for God. It needs to be for His kingdom, according to His will. It needs to be in service of His instructions. Duty, yes. Tradition, yes. Getting the job done, yes. Persevering, yes. Enduring hardship, yes. All these things, but for His glory, according to His wishes, in His name, not the church's name, not the pastor's name, not the deacon's names. We must not forget who we truly serve. B, we must not forget why we do such things. Why are we doing this? We're doing it to honor God and to show our love for God. We're doing it out of obedience to God. We're doing it so that we can share Jesus both verbally and by our actions. It's, it's all, the, the A and B go together. It's, it's because of Christ. It's not to build our reputation. It's not to earn more money. It's, it's not to control the city or anything like that. C, we must not forget where our support comes from. Where does our support come from? What comes from God? It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the God who lives in us. But God also said, I've given you a mechanism. I've given you a body of believers to rally around, to support one another. We must not forget that our strength comes from each other. Our, our prayer base is each other. Our, our source of help is each other. We can't forget where our support comes from. D, we can't forget the eternal value of the family of Christ. This is, how, this is God's chosen way to operate in the world. Through his body, through his church. We can't forget that. It's, it's again, keeping our eyes on Christ, not ourselves. And then E, we must not forget that God's work is always bathed in love and respect. God's work is always bathed in love and respect. Our delivery matters. Our attitude matters. How we look at other people matter. So yeah, we want all the good stuff. Please say these things about us, but never say to us, you have forsaken your first love. We have to keep Christ in mind, keep him in the forefront, keep him in the, the center of our activity. I want to remind you, I've said this before, three churches have died in this building. I don't know the circumstances. 
I don't, I don't want to know the circumstances. I don't need to know the circumstances. But Heritage Bible Church is at least the fourth congregation that's met in this building. I, I don't know what happened. I don't need to know what happened. They were good churches full of good people. I fear that they lost their first love. Why do I fear that? Because I think that's what we're in danger of the most. I think if we're going to read these letters and we're going to say, where do I, where am I most likely to fail? This is it. We are most likely to fail in the area of forgetting our first love because we can let the attention and the motive fall off of Christ and fall onto us. I want to look good. I want to, I want to have authority. I want to have power. I want to have my way. I want people to be impressed. In order to get the job done, I'll take shortcuts. I'll step on people. I'll do this or that, pragmatism. It's human nature. It's not like we're so bad. It's that we're so human. And it's not that humanity is, is the worst thing ever, but humanity runs in a different direction than godliness. And I need to keep reminding self that I'm, that I need to remind myself that I'm running towards God. And that I need to find people also running towards God. And I need to help people around me run towards God. And when I'm running towards God, I need to ignore the voices that are calling me to run in a different direction. And it's, it's really easy to fall into this trap. And you know what? I may end up saying this for every church. Because every church has its trapping. But I really felt like this week, like, man, this is the one that, that we as Baptists need to watch out for. So we must not forget all these things. Three churches have died in this building. Heritage Bible Church must listen to Christ's warning and not be the fourth. We must listen to Christ's warning and not be the fourth. And the only reason we have fourths is this building's been here a long time. Human nature has run its course. Let's not be the, the fourth one. Number four, here's our application. Do the work. Follow God's teaching. Follow his commands. Follow his principles. Be everything on that list. But do it with love in your heart for those you serve, those you, you serve with, and for God. Remember Jesus said the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the first love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the love they lost. That's why they got the warning. And that's eventually why they collapsed. We need to make sure we don't do that. We may need to make sure that we never stop loving God, never stop loving each other, and never stop loving the people we serve. I hope that makes sense. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our message today. It's a really short letter, which is a bit surprising. But I think you said a lot in the letter to this church, and they failed to heed your warning. They had been great. They had a great reputation. They had a great starting place. They had a great pastor. They were all set up for success, and yet 
they let pride get in the way. They let pragmatism get in the way. They let the worldliness get in the way. They forgot about you, who you truly were to them, what you had done. They forgot about representing you and loving people. They stopped loving each other. And you took their church. So Lord, I pray that we would hear from you. We would hear your warning. And that we would not do this. And Lord, as we look at each of these letters, let us, let us just take on the identity of that church and say this is what's right and this is what we need to do and this is what's wrong and this is what we need to avoid. Lord, it seems like this one might be the easiest one for us to fall into. Father, help us not to do that. I pray that we would move together in unity, led by the Spirit, under the authority of the Scriptures, that our own egos would not get in the way, that our service to others would be genuine, with an eye towards repentance and salvation and representing you well. May that be our only motive. I ask your blessings to be upon us. In your son's name I pray. Amen.